VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello everyone, welcome back to The Ruck, your rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Alfie Reynolds, great to have your company once again after another busy, exciting weekend of the Champions Cup. And alongside me in studio is the Deputy Rugby Correspondent for The Times, Will Kelleher. All right, Will? Yeah, good, good. Just me and you this week, Alfie. It feels... Pre-Christmas lull, maybe. A little bit lonely in some ways, yeah. but, but that's I, all good. I prefer it. I think all those other guys have got terrible opinions, so why don't we just speak about what we like? Just instead? us. There we go. That's what we're, that's what we're going to do. So we've got I'm joking. Loads, I'm joking. <laughs> loads coming up on, on the pod. We're going to review all the Champions Cup action. As I say, another good weekend. Another good weekend for the English clubs as well. Maybe we'll get into that. We're going to chat to the Storm as head coach John Dobson as well they had a dramatic win over La Rochelle and we'll name our god or goddess of the week but Will where were you this week you were at Northampton on Friday weren't you yeah I did a Northampton game on Friday night and then we'll get into it but a bit of a round of comebacks and that was one of them Northampton had it controlled for pretty much an hour of the game then Melvin Jaminet started pulling some tricks out the bag and Toulon went 19-15 ahead and then right at the end Tom Lockett dived over in the corner and Northampton won and Courtney Laws again I mean man he's he's still the best England back row one of the best England players out there but he's retired we asked him about it afterwards and he was like well you know it is what it is <laughs> we were asking if he'd block Steve Borthwick's number because he's probably calling him every week being like are you still sure are you still mm. sure he retired you feel like he's one of those players that whilst he has been highly rated for a long time there's almost a deeper appreciation yeah. of him now that we know he'll no longer play yeah. for England and in a way. And he's just so, and he has been for a while, it's not just a recent thing, but he's just so comfortable in his own skin. He knows exactly what sort of player he is now, where he had a bit of a transition maybe around the early days of Eddie Jones from being just a big hitter in defence, which, I mean, he was more than that, but that was his USP, wasn't it? To then this all-round player. He, had to add improve his carrying, I remember, yeah, was a big thing definitely. under Eddie Jones. And, and made that transition properly to six, and it's just amazing. Like, the turnovers he wins, the malls he stops, and you just think, oh, he's such a baller. Like, I love Courtney, he's, he's just brilliant. But you're right, I think now that he's not available for England... Everyone's just going like, oh, come on, another Six Nations. Could you do it, mate? One more year. Especially yeah. with guys like Tom Curry out and Ben Earl should be back in January, but has had knee surgery. Tom Willis is out too. There's there's maybe some more green guys in the back row like Tom Pearson who've only got a cap. And So you just think, God, I think Borthwick would love to have 100-plus Kappa Courtney in there. But 
I think he's he's quite happy just clanging and banging for Saints and doing a yeah. hell of a good job at it. Can't blame him too much. Well, we'll get back onto the Northampton game because also in their back line, I think some interesting discussion to be had about some of those players. But first up, before we get into anything, Will, too game-specific, big storyline when the teams got announced anyway towards the back end of last week was Champions Cup rotation. Yeah. In terms of the English clubs, I think... Bristol and Sale were the ones that have been mentioned. Leicester too, 13 changes they made, but they won. Well, and Sale yeah. put in a brilliant performance against Leinster. Yeah, unexpectedly maybe. Yeah. And so, they were leading at one point, weren't they? Yeah, you looked at it beforehand and you thought, if this is the rotation round, really. And my, my game on the Friday, Northampton-Toulon, was two fully loaded teams and was brilliant. And Stormers-La Rochelle was two fully loaded teams and that was brilliant too. But actually... As much as some teams rotated, quite a lot of those games were excellent too. And in some ways, you think if they were all fully loaded, they would have been even better. But it's, I don't know, it's its just still a little bit unsatisfactory. We all understand the reasons why teams are rotating, don't we? I don't particularly blame the individual teams. I think it comes back to what we've spoken about a lot over the last few weeks. It, just the format of the Champions Cup yeah. with, with four teams going through a pool of six. Yeah. You know, Bristol won their opening game against Leon. They've got an away trip to Bordeaux and then the, the trip to Newcastle this coming Friday. So they've already got one win. You look at Sale as well, you've got to play Saracens coming up. Like At some point, there probably needs to be some sort yeah, of rotation. I think it's Pat, it's a Pat Lamb stat, isn't it, that there's 17 rounds of matches in a row for these English teams, if yeah. you include Prem Cup. Which I would caveat with yeah. the Prem Cup, which was, pre-season, in my opinion, really. basically pre-season. But yeah. I think the point still stands. I don't think it's quite as long a stretch as that, but no. the point still stands that there has been a lot of rugby there. But then it, so you look at Sale, for example... So they didn't get a losing bonus point. So they're on four points after two games and they've got to go to Cape Town and host La Rochelle, um, two teams that are below them in the logs at the moment. And you think, God, if they'd managed to just get to five points up from the two games, all those little points will really matter come the end of the pool stages. But they're looking at it and going, look, when are we going to rest all these guys? When's George Ford, Manu, one of Ben Curry, all those guys going to get a break? Quite a lot of them have come back off the World Cup. They can't just keep going and going and going and going all season. And you understand it. And same with Leicester. And Leicester actually ended up winning, didn't they? And it was an amazing performance. And some of those young guys, that's like the greatest night of their lives, isn't it? People like Archie Vanes and all that. And you look at it, even Cardiff-Bath, for example, as well, yeah. where Bath went fully loaded and everyone was looking at where Cardiff are and thinking it would be a, a, an easy victory of the way Bath are playing. It was a, a really tight game, yeah. great game. So I, I don't know... It, <laughs> But yeah, I think before before the round started, you thought, oh, it's a shame that because some of these are going to be blowouts and a bit rubbish. But actually, it all turned out to be another really good weekend of Champions Cup, didn't it? Despite it, it's it. However, it would just definitely be better if all the teams were able to be fully loaded all the time. I think we'd all like to see that, and the the teams that are putting these teams out would too. Mm. It doesn't feel like the sort of competition where you should be playing the kids. I think. How do we get... Does the competition need to be smaller? Do there need to be less teams in it? Yeah, I mean, I've said this for years and I think it's one of those where you've got to convince the French, essentially. I've said for ages that I think it should be a 16-team tournament, so five from each league plus the Challenge Cup winners and making it more elite and then you can do four pools of four and it just feels 16-8-4-2 final. Like, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Flows better. But that means that then the top 14 only has five teams in it 14 but five of them are only in the Champions Cup and then where do all the rest go does the Challenge Cup become this enormous competition with loads of sides in it and also if you're the French you're going hang on that's uneven because we've got 14 in our league 
Premiership's only got 10, so why should they get half the league and we don't? So, as ever, hard to organise. I think there could be a future for it being streamlined. I think that may happen. I know the Champions Cup seems to change every season and a half, doesn't it? Mm. But I don't know. And also, I suppose this is this is just us sort of brainstorming. What we should maybe focus on, actually, is that we've had two great rounds of the Champions Cup yeah, yeah. on the field. And maybe, should we get into that next? Should we just park? I think so. We had some great games, didn't we? We often say that the Champions Cup takes until April to get going, but actually it started yeah. with a bit of a bang, hasn't it, already? Let's get into the action on the field. Up next, we'll get into some of those games in the Champions Cup over the weekend. So, Will, I reference it there, but midway through the Champions Cup, two great weekends we've had, some great games included as well. Has it been better than many of us, I think myself included, anticipated? Yeah, I think it, it has been, especially those games where we have seen a rotated side in, in one of the teams. Like I was at the Leicester Stormers game, as we talked about last week, and you were going there thinking, oh, shame, this could be a bit of a blowout, but Stormers nearly won it, uh, maybe should have done. And took a, and almost took a losing bonus point, but that got stolen from the right at the end. And it was because Leicester weren't brilliant, and they were very good. And then you've seen these other games like you thought, oh, Sale bringing a second team to Leinster would be a massive blowout, and it ended up being a convincing win. But it wasn't as much of a. It wasn't like a fifty-seven nil that of Gloucester has happened to them in the past, was it? It wasn't the sort of lie down and take it sort of not at all victory. And and actually, you have had quite a lot of comeback results. So you had Northampton losing 19-15 to Toulon and then winning 22-19. You had Bath 32-24 behind to Cardiff and won 39-32. You had the Stormers behind 20 points to 9 to La Rochelle and won 21-20. Exeter behind 24-13 to Munster and won 32-24. So it's not over till it's over. It actually has been pretty exciting, hasn't it? Yeah, Leon scored late as well yeah. to, to beat the yeah. Bulls and the Bulls then had a penalty which they missed to, to try and win it as well. Sustained so, drama, let's say. Yeah, well, <laughs> just all the pools, I think, are competitive. Like, you look at Pool 1 and Bordeaux atop having won both of their games and then Connacht are the only team that haven't won a game. So you've got Bristol, Saracens, Bulls, Leon, all on one victory. That's going to be really tight in really January, tight. I think. But you look at all of them. I mean, Pool 2, so you've got Toulouse and Bath who've gone two from two, but then you've got Ulster and Quinns who've won one each. Racing, we'll get onto them maybe, having lost both of them, and Cardiff who are struggling a bit. In Pool 3, Northampton and Exeter, both with two wins, but nine points each. Glasgow with one win, and then Bayonne and Munster drew one game, lost another. Toulon have lost twice, even though they've started yeah. the top 14 really well. Bottom of their pool, yeah. And then pool four, the, the pool of death, where we've got La Rochelle, the defending champions. O from two. O, o from two. <laughs> you know, Leinster and Leicester have both won both. Sale of, and the Stormers have won one apiece. So I feel like for when we get into the, the next round of these, or the, yeah. the second half, I suppose, of the pool fixtures in, in January, it's going to be really fascinating. Yeah, and there's going to be some tight finishes, which is maybe what was lost in those mega pools. Where because the maths were so difficult, it was it impossible was, to follow. Wasn't you were kind of like, right, so hang on, what does that mean for the whole the, the twelve people in this log? Whereas I remember the days of what we used to love as the old Heineken and Champions Cup. We'd get to those January games and the permutations. It was the whole as it stands kind of weekend, wasn't it? Yeah. There were times I remember where I think it was, was it Wasp took a draw against Len- Leinster once. Andy Good hit a late kick and that was a 20 all draw which meant they snuck through at the expense of Harlequins I think once and there'll be millions of others that other people remember but 
that's always quite fun, isn't it? It's a bit like in the Football World Cup or whatever when teams are kicking off at the same time and you think, or the Premier League final day when it all matters and you watch matches there at night and they switch between different games. Jumping between screens, yeah. yeah and, that, and that is the sort of drama that with the previous system... You kind of lost that. You, yeah. you lost it a little bit, didn't you? But I think also, we were talking about this just before we went on air... Because we love talking about rugby, even if we're not recording, everyone. Sadly, so, yeah. <laughs> but looking at where some of the punchy French teams are in the in the table, if they sneak through, which you'd ex- still expect someone like La Rochelle to, to go through, they're gonna, it's going to be a brutal draw for someone. So let's say, for example, Northampton get through as the top of their pool, or Exeter do, and they've done better than expected. But then someone like Racing or La Rochelle have done worse than expected. Then Sod's Law, they'll draw each other. And Munster, say, <laughs> Munster as well, because they drew that first yeah. game. Or another one's were defending URC champions. And yeah, yeah. They could end up going on the road. And, and obviously, really if you're Northampton or Exeter, home ties is really brilliant in that, especially because it makes you lots of money. Like I'm talking to people at Northampton on Friday night, and they're so key. Like they had lost 10 European pool matches in a row. For this season, now they've won two. The guys in the sort of comms team and marketing department are like, we need the home tie because it gets us about 350k and it makes such a difference between making a profit or making a loss in the season because it's this sort of unexpected extra cash that you'd sell out the ground, especially with someone like La Rochelle, and make a whole load of money. But you think for teams that are going to do better than expected, especially this in- these English sides, drawing one of the best teams in France or oh, be Ireland awesome. would be yeah. great, but also... Financially, you'd prefer to get a rubbish team and get through to the quarterfinal, probably, wouldn't you? Well, potentially. <laughs> Let, should we start on the Northampton game then? As we we did yeah. mention it earlier, but you were there in our notes for the show. I just put the question: Are Northampton the real deal, Will? Because you look at yeah. their last what is it? They beat they went to the Stonex and beat Saracens, which yeah. was almost a bit of a bogey ground for them. Beat Quins in a they high scoring game. Beat Quins. They went away and beat Glasgow convincingly, yeah. and now they've beaten Toulon at home mm. with a late score as well. I think. And you'd expect them to beat Gloucester probably coming up before Christmas. Yeah. So then that's a nice run of five, isn't it? They've they've looked really good. And I think briefly touched on it last week, but the recruitment of Lee Radford, their their new defensive defense coach, coach from rugby league, has just so obviously improved their defence. Like whenever you looked at the stats from the last few seasons, they often were way up the top of the charts for all the attacking stuff, but really low, if not bottom of the league, for things like missed tackles and tries conceded stats. even wasn't yeah. it wasn't it what, what, was it last year or one year where they were top of the table for tries scored and then bottom or virtually bottom yeah. for tries I think conceded that was last season yeah. yeah and they're they're often the side aren't they that make the top 4 and then get thrashed by saracens um so them having a newly tooled up defence has just so obviously improved what they're doing and Tommy Freeman is a big one. Stuart Barnes yeah. in, in the Times on Monday had a piece speaking him up, option at 13 for England. Yeah. And it's just, he's having a really good year, isn't he? Definitely. It? And it was, a, it was a nice little reference. Bill Dowson said Tommy Freeman's reminding him of Ben Foden a bit, which is, an, I think, quite an apt comparison. Big compliment as well. Yeah, big compliment. And a big lad, but his, his rangy, fast. Like the way he beat Gavin Villiers for pace, I know it's hard on the turn. So he was playing outside centre but found himself on the right wing, which we know he's very good at playing on the wings. That's where he kind of has started. He kicked over the top. Villiers was on the turns and beat him for pace, regathered the ball. But it was more the hunger when he got the ball. Leg pump, leg pump, leg pump, leg pump. Got as close as he could to the line, was just about to be tackled and gave a little pop to Furbank, who was on his shoulder, who scored a try. He thought that showed some test class I thought 
and he he could be important for England coming forward. Like, let's see what happens with Ollie Lawrence and Matthew Lange. There's options, isn't there? And like Henry Slade as well. Henry Slade, which another brilliant game for him. Yeah, well, we can get on to extra actually because they're in the same pool and had a brilliant win against Munster. I know if if Barnsley was here, that piece that I say in in the Times on on Monday today, as we're recording, is all about how numbers don't really matter, particularly in in modern rugby. You look at Bowden Barrett, who's one of the best fly halves in the world, he's now a fullback. Rico mm. Ioani, who was one of the best wingers in the world, he plays outside centre. Loads of different. Damian Penno, who started in the centre, is now yeah. probably regarded as the best wing in the world. And just the way Tommy Freeman is playing, we know he's not quite at that level yet, but he's tracking in the right direction. The thing they always say about outside centre is that it is the hardest place to defend because yeah. you're the last guy on the edge. And someone like Jonathan Joseph in the past was always so highly rated for that, being able to defend in that really wide outside channel when if you can think about it in your mind's eye everyone listening you've often got let's say the fly half and the two centers quite closely packed together and then a big gap to the wing because you he's dropped off slightly for a kick so you've got to cover a lot of space yeah and that was something that maybe was a learning thing for will joseph on the weekend because he was flying up quite a lot in the outside center channel and the the big pass wide was missing him and caden murley was carrying an injury for quinn's and so it was a bit off the pace. It wasn't his fault. He'd just done his ankle. And Toulouse just had so much joy going outside. And as they were saying on the TNT commentary, once they break you, you're done. That Toulouse game. So defending in that outside centre channel will be the next thing for Tommy Freeman. But he's looking really good at the mm. moment, as are lots of English centres, to be honest. Speaking of which, Henry Slade, Exeter 32, Munster 24. So Exeter have gone two from two. And those two victories, you go away to Toulon and then at home against Munster. I mean, those yeah, are awesome. two just like traditional European yeah. names. Like, What a great couple of results. It's funny, isn't it? Because I was looking back over the last few seasons when I was at the Northampton game to... to track back their recent record and the last time Northampton got through to the quarterfinals they played Exeter the year that Exeter won the Champions Cup in 2020 and that was the last time before this season that Northampton actually won a game in Europe it was Lyon in that January and then they lost the quarterfinal but Exeter where they've slightly dipped in the Prem and they're coming back up again they've sort of remained a really good cup team haven't they because they got to the semis maybe a bit unexpectedly last season with the last dance team with Jack Knoll and all those lads but using some of the young uni lads like Will Beckinsall and all that were in the team Tommy Wyatt a fullback but yeah they've they've gone away to Toulon had a great plane ride home and then backed it up by beating Munster when maybe they shouldn't have done I think Graham Rouncher was absolutely livid they threw that one away but you just look at the cleverness it's two weeks in a row for Munster yeah, again going yeah. back to that draw where they or should really have won yeah definitely and there was a little bit of fortune perhaps but all came from good kick chase so Stu Townsend puts in the box kick and Jack Dunn the old Leinster lock rumbles through and he gets a lovely bounce but and then manages to score that try and then Henry Slade it reminded me a bit slightly different place on the field but it reminds me reminded me of when he nicked one off Ireland in the 2019 Six Nations where he had a brilliant game the first game first game of the tournament when Eddie Jones's team went in and yeah. just steamrolled them. Yeah. yeah, and there were lots of signs around Dublin being like, we're going to thrash you and all that from Paddy Power and others, and they won, and Eddie loved it. And so that was a great Slade game, that one. And this one was another, and he took that intercept off Conor Murray, and he just thought, God, that's a great win, isn't it? And that took the bonus point away from Munster as, yeah, as well. which is really important. Like You're yeah. looking at that table, and you've got Saints and Chiefs nine points each, and then a big drop now to Glasgow on four. So even if Glasgow get a bonus point win in one of their last two games, they're only level on points, and that's if Northampton next to lose, isn't it? So 
all these little points matter. And I like that. I think that's good. Yeah. Even though it's easier to get through, I think the seeding is going to really matter, isn't it? As we've said, if you're going to get a big French team or Leinster or someone, you're trying to avoid them, aren't you? To try and get as many points as you can. Yeah, just on Henry Slade as well. Again, so another English 13 having a great season. Do you think there's something in it? I look at Slade and wonder almost the amount of experience that Exeter lost... And then all of a sudden you are the guy or one of the few guys in that team that are a real senior head, been at the club since you were a kid. And some people th- thrive in that, almost lose. Yeah. You feel like you have more responsibility, possibly? Yeah, I, th- I think so, yeah. And and there must be a fair bit of motivation for his World Cup snub too. He does have a big decision to make about whether he stays in England or not. He would pl- definitely have options elsewhere if he wanted to. He runs out in the summer, his contract... I wonder whether how much whether he gets selected for yeah, the Six Nations is probably going to play into that. That will be, yeah. It seems like, sensibly, you, you kind of wait until January to see whether you're in or out and then make a decision. But I don't know, for someone who's born and raised around that wave, Plymouth lads, I know Plymouth isn't Exeter, obviously, especially in the football rivalry. But he came through the but, academy. Yeah, he yeah. came through the academy. But it must have been a funny thing to have lost like, all of his mates, pretty much, from Jack Knowles to Dave Ewers to all the rest and seen him playing across the world basically because he's, his contract ran out a year after theirs. But then to be part of it and leading that young team must be quite fun. You're almost recreating what you had as a 20-year-old with different lads and you're the senior figure. Um, and he's playing really well. So and do good you on stick him. with it? Yeah. Mm. And I, I, I know I've often said on this pod I've got a bit of a soft spot for Exeter and what they've done over a number of years, but that's just quite heartening, isn't it, to see them winning these big games well I think also and we've spoken about the Exeter 2.0 or whatever you want to call it the rebuild of the Chiefs this year but I think you compare it to say for example a Gloucester or a Bristol other teams that you feel over the last couple of years have lost players have been at a point where they've needed to start improving Mm. results and they they haven't been able to make the sort of leap that I think Exeter have done in quite a short space of time yeah and yeah you're right and it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because maybe you look at particularly Bristol and you go, they've gone from like building this Galactico team to then losing loads of them all at the same time. Whereas I know Exeter lost a lot of their big names, but some of them were guys who were probably going to be on the way out anyway, like Phil Dolman and Ian Witten and Gareth Steenson and stuff, who've then sort of been regenerated, I suppose, through these young guys from uni boys and stuff. And like their first building phase from the championship was using the squad that they had in 2009-10 and then adding as they went sustainably. And then the cherry on tops were the guys like Stuart Hogg and Johnny Gray who helped them win the Champions Cup. But still, largely, it was the Exeter boys, wasn't the, it? The Devon and Cornwall what they brought through, yeah. And a few Northern Irishmen and stuff like that, the journeymen, who've been replaced. So maybe they that was an easier transition than someone like Bristol, who who lose Piatal, Radradra. We've spoken about Gloucester, haven't we? But you'd always look at their squad and you go, that's a really good squad, but then they can't get it all on the pitch at the same time. And maybe it's a bit like where Bath have finally got out of their rut, where... There's something more than just that. There's something un- intangible, psychological that they just can't, I don't know, get themselves into these big seasons or big games. They they don't back it up, whether it's to do with the fact they can't get the team on the field all the time or not. 
Whereas Bath have finally changed that psychological thing and it seems like they're really hunting for stuff now, doesn't it? Should we go into pool one? Saracens and Bristol in this pool. So Saracens 55, Connacht 36, Bordeaux 36, Bristol 17. So I was covering the Bristol game for local radio um, and spoke to Pat uh, Pat Lamb afterwards over the phone for a post-match interview and he explained in terms of their level of rotation, basically because they go away to Newcastle this coming Friday. And I think they had a their trip back. I'm not quite sure why, but their trip back this weekend was late on Sunday, even right. though their game was Saturday. They weren't travelling back until late on it Sunday. It might just be as boring as that was the fl- only flight they could get. Yeah, like, potentially. They can't all just charter jets, can they? Yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes they do, though. I don't know yeah. why they didn't, but they have previously the club chartered planes, and then it makes mm. it a lot easier. They obviously didn't this time. They also flew from Gatwick. Right. As well. So I think the, drive as well, the yeah. journey generally meant that Monday was a rest day. They then got Newcastle away yeah. on the fri- on Friday night in the Premiership and it just became one of those things they rotated. Even though they were beaten quite comfortably by a really strong and a Bordeaux team that looks very, very good. Yeah. I think Bristol will be there'll be a lot that they'll be pleased about. The the driving mall game, their scrum, that kind of type five element looked good again, which it has done at a few times this season. But honestly, the Big takeaway here was Damien Penno is yeah ridiculous, amazing signing, isn't he? Yeah, and they've got Biel Barry on the other wing. Yeah, so, so it's them on, them on the wings. You've got Damien Penno who just is coming off his wing all the time. Yeah, he set up a couple of tries. He scored one. He's breaking through the centres, coming off his wing like he was awesome. And I think it was they were the highest attendance over the weekend as well. Yeah, I think okay, twenty six thousand nice. in in Bordeaux. It was yeah. a sellout, a great atmosphere. So and they're looking strong. They're at the top of that pool. Two wins from two, ten points from a, a possible ten. We'll maybe look at Toulouse possibly as the best French team in in a short while, but Bordeaux looking looking very strong. Yeah, and maybe for this, I'm including myself in this. So I'm not trying to offend our listeners, but the slightly uneducated viewers of the top fourteen who from England and the British Isles wouldn't look at Bordeaux and go, "Oh, they're one of the best, like most iconic French teams." But I mean, any team that's got Demi and Penno in it is going to be a hell of a prospect. Yeah, well, it was backline of Maxime Lucu, Damien Penno. Who could Penno, be the nine if Dupont's out for the Six Nations like, as well. Uh, likely, and, yeah. Um, Jalibert, obviously, at 10, so that's a nice partnership. Jalibert at 10. Mo, Joram Mofana, who's yeah. kind of the understudy to Fiku, is their outside centre. So, yeah, I mean, the, board, the Bordeaux team is pretty, pretty, pretty stacked, really. Sarri's big win they, need, the, yeah. win they needed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's funny, isn't it, because we're talking about Bristol, who rotated and got well beaten but they're, they're on the same points as Sarri's and you're never going to write Sarri's off are you to, to getting into the last 16 so in some ways this rotation because they had won and got a five point win the week before Bristol you think actually it's kind of worked and mm. like Sarri's fiddled about a bit and then just turned it on didn't they Ollie Hartley scored another nice try he looks quite good at 12 they always seem to pick up these guys that slightly less no- I mean obviously I can hear people listening to this going, yeah, but they also have signed like Juan Martin Gonzalez. He's like a cheat code. Like, he's yeah. amazing. But people like Lewington and others like that, in the past they've picked up from other Prem teams and when they get into that Sarri system, they just look really good, don't they? So, yeah, it's gonna, that pool's a tight one, isn't it? Really interesting. And again, going back to the point that you made earlier, where it's another example of where bonus points are key. Leon are on seven points, but they've picked up three bonus points, whereas yeah. the Bulls, Saracens, Bristol have all put, picked up one bonus point. So, you know, that could be key when it comes to, to the Absolutely. shake-up. Uh, Toulouse, we mentioned, uh, they just look so good, don't they? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So Alex Alex Lowe, our, our esteemed colleague and friend, was um, 
at that game at Quinn's and I was watching it on the telly and you thought there was a point where you were like, oh, Quinn's doing okay here and then they just got absolutely blasted. Even like, in the second the half, if you look back, I, I watched the highlights of it and it, I can't remember the exact, it was 40, 50 minutes or something and Toulouse were winning but it felt like a pretty tight game and then you yeah. fast forward to the final score. It was just, well, there was talking about it on the commentary but it seems that the Toulouse warm-up is a, is a series of sort of tight, short-sided games of basically can you find space, find offloads, and that's just like their whole unstructured attack. They can't they can't be beaten at that. And Dupont's amazing. It was funny actually because I was watching it just from the and Alex mentioned it in his report. It's in the Times on in Monday's paper that Dupont looked a bit rusty at the beginning, and he made three quite rubbishy passes and dropped the ball a bit, got fumbled in contact, and you just thought, oh, it's funny this like. Maybe there's a bit of World Cup fatigue in there or something. But he's not like Finn Russell in the sense that he is a risky player. But I feel like because he tries so much and he's always involved in the game, even if he makes a couple of slightly rogue passes, they'll eventually eventually come for him. And yeah, he was part of their amazing try from their own half. And Quinn's, yeah, they just ended up looking a bit ragged, to be honest. Their their defence was like, you try and draw a straight line and you're thinking oh god this is a bit of a zigzag here all over the field and Toulouse just cut them to ribbons and who would have thought two weeks ago that if you were saying the other team on t- on the top of pool two also on 10 points with Toulouse who who would it be you'd be looking at yeah Racing 92 Ulster possibly I think are the two teams people mm. would most likely mention but Bath, once again, I know Cardiff aren't necessarily in the best place. Bath winning 39-32. A brilliant game from I know, reading Steve Jones's uh, report in, in the Times in the Sunday Times of just what a great occasion it was mm. at the Arms Park as well. But Bath just keep on, they're keeping on with some of those really statement great results. Yeah. They, they always say, don't they, that winning is a habit as well as losing is a habit. And Bath, a couple of Christmases ago, were in the definite losing habit, weren't they? When Stuart Hooper was desperately trying to get a win anywhere and they eventually beat Quinns just after January I think having lost about 10 in a row and now they're in the other way aren't they they just they sort of keep finding ways to win same in football isn't it sometimes when you have the champion team like I know a bit different this season but Man City and days gone by just like how have they done that again they've, they've won another one and Bath seem to just be in that lovely space where even if they're not playing the absolute best they're still winning matches they were 32-24 behind but I feel like they've got a calmness about them and maybe Finn Russell's helped with a bit of that. Bath have now got Quinns just before Christmas on the on next Saturday, that 23rd. Could be fun. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. You think Quinns on a high after their win at Rasting, then brought down to earth by Toulouse, but a, a nice clash at the wreck against Bath, that could be tasty. But yeah, Bath are looking good. Maybe we should go and see them at some point. We should get, get around the wreck, shouldn't we? Yeah, go to Farley House, their training ground. Yeah, Lovely it's very spot. nice there. Always having quite nice biscuits. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's very, it's very posh, isn't it? And it's funny, isn't it? Because it is that that training ground was one of the reasons why people would slag them off and go, oh, but it's all just too cosy and like you need a bit more spin sawdust, like in a in a bin somewhere in Acton, and they won everything, and it's all because of the training ground. You're like, well, probably not. Bath back in the big time, like they, they feel like a good club to be back up there. Yeah. As a Bristolian, you're shaking your head. (laughs) (laughs) No, do you know what it's most pleasing for is the one thing that even when Bath were rubbish, they were still virtually selling out the wreck every week. So I think for that fan base, it's a great thing. But yeah, with my Bristol hat on, 
Uh, maybe a bit more non-plus. <laughs> Let's finish off in pool four. We're going to chat to the Stormers head coach, John Dobson, very, very shortly. The pool of death. So we've mentioned already Sale with a much-changed team away to Leinster. 37-27, but they were winning at, at half-time. I think it's a, a much better performance than people would have expected. Uh, i tell you what, we'll get on to the Stormers in a sec. Stab Francais 24, Leicester Tigers 27. The final game of the weekend, and a lot like the Quinns... Racing game, the final game of the weekend the week before, an English team hanging on late at the death in their own 22 defending and getting a big win on the road. that was a great win. What an odd ending. And chaos. I don't know if all of our listeners watched it, but... So it's 27-24, Leicester trying to hold out. A second ball comes on the field. I think someone just threw it from the stands and it ended up on the pitch. And it was after the clock had gone red... And to his credit, Nika Amashekeli was like, no, we can't end the game on that. That would be totally unfair. And I think we'll the, re- scrum. the reason as well is, I'd, I don't know if this is the rule, but I would imagine if someone chucked a ball on and it didn't really impact anything, then it's fine. But it was chucked on and ended up going into the feet of the driving ball. Yeah, so you had, you had Leicester players diving on it because they thought that, they was, thought the that ball, was a real ball. Like yeah. it had been dropped. So it was all a bit calamitous. <laughs> then also Mike Brown gets a yellow card. Yes, yeah. And he was absolutely steaming about it. You could see. I mean, it was one of those... It's that it's that sort of tackle that you pretty much always get a yellow for. Like for a knock-on, yeah. It was similar in the, the uh, Northampton-Toulon game, because we didn't mention it, but one of the reasons why Northampton came back in that match was because Jeremy Sinzel, the, the centre, did the same thing as Mike Brown, the sort of like little clothesline handout and deliberate knock-on. But then when they looked back, they'd seen that there was a high tackle as well, and the flanker had hit someone in the head, so he got a yellow. So Toulon went to 14 in... Same passive play, but yeah, you saw that, and I was watching it on the telly, and you thought, "Oh my god, are they going to bottle it right at the end here, Leicester, with a young team?" Um, but they saw it through, and it wasn't the most dazzling match. Like, it looks like it was high scoring because it was twenty-seven, twenty-four, but it was it was a hell of a lot of box kicking and tactical kicking, and you've got Paul Gustard as, as the coach at Stade Francais, who's defensive orientated, isn't he? But that was a really, really good win, and if you you've got Young players in that Leicester team like Charlie Atkinson, Jamie Shilcock, Archie Vaines, that, that's going to live with them, isn't it? Stormers 21, La Rochelle 20. Alex Lowe posed the hypothetical question, I suppose, last week. of I think he said, I would love to know what's going on at La Rochelle. Now, on yeah. the one hand, they've had two really tough games to start Europe. They were against Leinster at home, and then they've gone away to the Stormers. But even so, having lost, so they've lost their first two Mm. They've had a tough start to the top 14 season as well. It's just all not quite... Yeah. I mean, it might, as we said earlier, it might make it really interesting if they do get through and then they have an, um, uh, La Rochelle have to go away to You'd one of the them anywhere, seeds. really, wouldn't you? Even though they're not having the best season that they've ever had. But oh, they had that game sewn up. And I was, I was watching it live and I had a tweet ready that they were going to be the first team to have ever won in South Africa first European side in the Champions Cup to have won in South Africa and they didn't it was the 10th time that a European team had gone to South Africa in the Champions Cup and all 10 of now have been won by the South African side which is a different conversation we, we'll get onto all the logistics of that with, with John Dobson in a sec but they were 20 points to 9 ahead they scored a try that had basically won the game with a few minutes to go that got called back because of a high tackle um, Joel Scalvi got a yellow card for that and then shock horror three minutes later Stormers scored a try and Manny Libot kicked the goal to win them the game and it was one of those right 
really tricky one. It was harder than that Henry Slade one in Toulon. It was out on the right wing, and like we know that Manny Lebox not as clutch a kicker sometimes as Andrew Pollard, which is the reason why he missed out on the, in the World Cup final, wasn't it? But fair play to him to nail that. Oh, I thought it was an awesome moment for Marnie Libok. I was so pleased for him because yeah. he has had a great year. I mean, you think that overall mm. he is the, or was for most of the year, the starting fly half for the Springboks. Yeah. Massive part of helping them expand, their game. expand yeah. their game and develop their attack. But then the brutal situation of being hooked in the first half of the semi-final, yeah. not even being part of the 23 for a final as well. And a big win for the Stormers as well because they missed out on the bonus point away to Leicester yeah. the week before. I tell you what, let's hear more from a man far more in the know than me and Will. Coming up next on the podcast, we'll chat to the Stormers head coach, John Dobson. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, John, welcome back to The Ruck. It's great to have you on again. Looking back on your second game in the Champions Cup, hell of a victory against La Rochelle. Last second kick of the game. I mean... How how do you reflect on it, on it now, a couple of days later, the drama and, and the importance of the win as well after missing out on the losing bonus point the week before against Leicester? Yeah, spot on. That, that's probably... Um, yeah, I, you know, I felt crazy in round two to almost be in a do-or-die situation in the, in the competition. You know, it's a competition we made the quarterfinals in last year. Uh, we felt that if we didn't beat La Rochelle, especially as you said, after the point at Leicester, we were gone, you know. So you don't get a much tougher team than a fully loaded La Rochelle to try and survive in, you know. And that was, I think, what, what, what the emotion of it afterwards, you know, how we didn't stick to our plan, we played poorly. But I think, I think you know, once we watched it a few, firstly, we realised how good La Rochelle are. They're another, they're, we haven't played that before. You know, we haven't played that level of, uh, of opposition. And then, um, and secondly, that probably... God, this is going to sound absolutely appalling that we might have deserved to win it in terms of some of the stats, you know, 22 entries, how we gave them their tries, that we got the scrum going against an international front row, that we got the mall going. Um, you know, we didn't play well, but to do that and beat La Rochelle is an extraordinary achievement, by, I think, for us. I was in the shower, so I missed the last four minutes, but we'll take it. You missed the last four minutes? You just, yeah, you just went in the shower? I went... Because i tell you what happened was um, they scored. I don't know if you remember, they scored a try, a good disallowed for a headshot. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When that was, I watched that and I put the message on, you know, listen, we've got to try and get a bonus point out of this. Then they gave us a penalty in the middle of the field and we we're going to kick to the corner. I, I could, there's no way I could have watched that. So if you go right to the bottom <laughs> so of the stadium. you shower. Yeah, put, turn on the shower, then you can't hear the crowd noise. 
And uh, <laughs> that's amazing. He just went for a shower. <laughs> he didn't even see Lebok. I'll, I'll be honest. It's not the first time it's happened. And then what you do is there's, there's no cell phone reception down in our showers. So then after about what I reckon the game's definitely over, I walk out and then my, if I phone, and the first thing was from uh, from my neighbour to say that the, there's a baboon in the area, and the second one was from, <laughs> a, was from a friend to say, uh, uh, wow. And I didn't know what wow meant, and then I could work it out. Yeah, so no, it was pretty tense for us at the end. <laughs> John, you've got, do you have a, you've said there it's not the first time you've done it. Is it. Am I right in thinking when you won the URC as well? I don't know if you were having a shower, but again, you could, is it something that you, when a game's tight, you can't watch the end of it? Because this doesn't reflect well on me because it's complete lack of <laughs> complete lack of strength and tactical input. Um, but uh, that's true. The, the the final and even last year's Munster final. But when I, the final last year when I came out the shower because uh, that game was also equally as close uh, as others. Um, my phone was dead quiet, and I started to think, "Is there reception?" And I walked into then I can see the reception on my phone, so I realised we'd lost. <laughs> so it's always a good sign if, or a bad sign. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. For Stormers fans, if you go for a shower, it's very <laughs> good things happen. <laughs> That's amazing. Can I, can I ask you about because obviously we we realise the logistics that you've gone through in the last few weeks of coming up to Leicester with a changed team, but the fact that Larachelle brought their best to you and you still snuck through that must be extra heartening, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, as I say, will we hadn't seen that. You know, that sort of team that they, I don't, in warm up, I said to Darby's name and my assistant coach, I said, their backs are bigger than our pack, you know, and that's not something that happens <laughs> to South Africans very often. You know, so that was, it was, there was, um, you know, they obviously were desperate to win it. You could see by their approach how much it meant to their staff, um, the team they selected. Uh, so, but, you know, credit, you know, we avoided, we avoided doing the six day turnaround transcontinental um, and they did it. That, that, that was, um, that was, I said, credit to that, but that's probably, I'm not sure they would have had that beaten Leinster. Look, we feel slightly vindicated. We would have liked to have got the point in, in Welford Road. I think what is useful for the competition is that, you know, the Bulls this week didn't maybe put their, their best team out against Lyon. We didn't against Welford, and both games ended up being proper, proper games, you know, which is nice. Mm. I will get onto some of that in a yeah, second. Yeah. But I just wanted to ask you about Manny Leboc. Obviously, hit that kick at the end, having missed the conversion early in the day. How's he been since the World Cup? Because lots of us would have seen the way he got subbed off in that semi-final, didn't make the final. And we all know that it's sort of the team game and about the squad as a whole and he's ended up a World Cup winner. But it must be tough for a guy like that to to be the man and then miss out. So has he been all right coming back into it? With yeah, you um, actually, so it completely surprised me. I'm, I'm giving, not giving you a, a sanitised answer. You know, he came to us from, where did he come from? The Sharks at a probably a three out of a 10 if you're going to grade them like that. We probably made him to a six and got him just into the Springbok squad. And I think what he's come back seven or eight months later or six months later from the Springboks is just another level. So in terms of leadership, game management, confidence, he's he's, not, he's speaking at every... He didn't say we're a boot to a ghost. He's speaking at every team meeting. So he's he's learned a lot in the Springbok environment. He's got a hell of a lot of confidence. And apparently he was amazing in the week of the final when he wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. The, the other Springboks say he just sort of Brace it. He didn't go and sulk or, or drift off, you know. So um, no, he's he's grown up in front of our eyes. So we 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 thrilled with him at the moment. I don't think we stuck to a brilliant plan on the weekend between a few of them, but um, he's certainly grown up a lot. Yeah. And the, the other guy I'd like to ask you about for our sort of English listeners, Ben Loder, who's one of the yeah. lads that lost his job with London Irish. Uh, I think he was saying the other week that 
Someone asked him how you enjoy in Cape Town. He's like, I haven't been there for about a month because we've been on tour <laughs> to Europe. But that, I mean, from our side, that looks like a cool job for him. And he scored a try for you on the weekend. How's he been settling in? Oh man, I, I can't tell you how happy we were with, with Ben Loder. Do, he's, he's got time. He's tough. He's but the amazing thing, which I really liked about him, when London Irish are going to the wall, we sort of got on the phone. Obviously, everybody was the Sharks were all going after Henry Rundle, I'm sorry, Rundle and. Haskell Collins, and we actually liked the look of Ben Lodek. He actually hurt us in Cape Town uh, when we played the return fixture here, and uh, or the first fixture. And then um, he wouldn't commit to us until he knew that London Irish was dead and a lot, uh, dead and buried in that respect, and that most yeah. of his teammates were right. And I think mm-hmm. that just stuck. It's amazing character. I mean, we were offering him a good contract and a good job when things were going hitting the wall at London Irish, and he chose to wait. At the risk of losing us, you know, um, just to make sure he didn't want to be one of the earliest, you know, one of the first people in the lifeboat. And I think that's, but he's a quality player. I hope that whatever he experiences here will get him into high honours there because tough, good kid, speed, both feet, 11, 14, 15. I actually think we've got a real gem here. I don't know what, what's your guys rating him there? What's your rating? Well, yeah, he, he he's never quite made it into an England setup, but no. he's always been in around the Prem for a few years. I think he possibly got into an Eddie Jones bar bar squad once, but <laughs> he's kind of one of I mean, those fringe guys, yeah, but rated highly in a very good back three at London Irish. So it was always just such a shame to see them disband like they have done. Cause yeah, you but you, the... you are blessed with those back three strikers at the moment in, in the Prem, yeah. aren't you? They, it's it's, it's uh, yeah. It's not something we'd always associate with English, but they really are good. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right as well, John, in that maybe in within that London Irish setup, Will, I don't know your thoughts on this, but maybe Ollie Hassel Collins, Henry Arundel were kind mm. of the players that, that yeah. were put above Ben, and, and he slipped under the radar Tom a, a Parton, little bit. who's gone to Saracens as well. Yeah, that there was, was a few of them, weren't there? John, I wanted to ask you about kind of the South African involvement in the Champions Cup and the view of the Champions Cup in South Africa, because we had you on the podcast and I was listening back a little over a year ago now, it was just before the first round with something that obviously has to build. So what's the kind of view within South Africa, the fans amongst, you know, supporters and, and players and yourself as a coach in terms of how the South African participation is working? Yeah, listen, I, I've heard, I, I listened to the ruck on my morning, on my, on my Tuesday waddles on the forest. And, uh, um, you know, I've, I've heard job. some of the reservations from some of your senior correspondents about it. And I get that, but the, um, this week, I, I felt a lot more sheepish about it than last week. You know, I spoke to Will before the game and I said, you know, we're going to show some fight and I'm worried. Because, you know, if we send a so-called B team and get rolled over 44-5, that's it, really poor. So th- th- that was massive for us, last, what happened last week against Leicester. But I was disappointed with our crowd numbers for this week because I don't think the South African public yet understand what, how good a team La Rochelle is or who they are, you know, or who Saracens are. The week before the Bulls, you know, we in the industry know very well how good Saracens are. Um, I lived in, I didn't sleep for two nights because I knew how good La Rochelle were. But the, the, I think um, so that there's a big educational piece there. There was a sidebar to the to the Cape Town story in that we had the HB. What I can't remember what they called now. This trendy name, but the Sevens were here last week. Yeah, and um, we've got the Sevens without E's. It is now. So, yeah, so, I can't do it. Whatever no you, vowels allowed. Yeah. Simmons, uh, we're here. And then we had uh, La Rochelle. And we've got the two local derbies. So we've got the Bulls here this week. And then we've got the Sharks on the 30th. So I don't think yeah, Christmas is always expensive time of year for everybody to go buy presents to get four weeks in the row at the stadium. But so that's why I felt a bit sheepish that we didn't present, you know, a thirty or 40,000 crowd like we will do this week. Um, 
but as, as regards as being part of it, yeah, that's why we're so desperate to, it's so, we're learning so much. I mean, what we would have got from Saturday may not suit other countries that South Africa, but it's got so much benefit to us. Um, we want to respect the tournament as much as possible. When we go to start from, say, in January, definitely on a seven-day turnaround, we'll take our best team. I, it, it, you know, it's, the URC is also a bit, if we were out again, and, and how we won the URC in the first year is, don't forget, when Leinster was going toe-to-toe, I forget which club it was, it was a big club, maybe Exeter in the semi-final, we were resting before the URC mm. semi-final. Yeah, we had bye weeks when the European playoffs were happening. So that's clearly a massive advantage to us in the URC, but to be playing at this level um, is extraordinary. I think we're just a year off another educational year of the South African public appreciating how big this competition is. You know, and, and, and I don't want us to irritate you, the Northern Hemisphere, uh, um, wish we weren't there, if you know what I mean, because we're we, cause we, cause we adding challenges. Yeah, Will and I actually had a good chat about whether it's a seven-day turnaround or a two-week tour. Uh, I think we could address one of those things to be a better picture. What I do yeah, think, I sorry, I'm, I'm giving you a long answer. Where I do think the cha- where the there might be a challenge is that, okay, I'm going to sound really, uh, what's the word now, uh, patronizing now, but you guys are doing it yourselves. You know, uh, uh, Bedford is sending B teams to Coventry because I'm saying that because I don't want to name clubs involved, but it's yeah. a two hour trip and they're sending B teams. And I think that's more problematic than the, I think people can maybe understand the intercontinental one. Yeah, yeah I mean, in Gloucester sent a, a second team to Leinster before. The South African yeah. teams were involved and got beaten 57-0. Sale did it and actually did better than they expected well, yeah. at Leinster. So, yeah, it's definitely not just a South African thing, but obviously you're very far away. <laughs> you can't move South Africa closer to Europe physically, yeah. can you? So, I don't know. Can you, just for the listeners, to, I suppose, to um, explain the logistics of what you had to do in the last week or so, can you just put some context around that? Look, you did 16,000 miles to go up to Leicester, obviously, in, in a matter of days, but yeah, why think, was it so important that you had to rotate? Just to explain to you. Yeah, me. I think, th- thanks, Will. Uh, look, uh, the, 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 the challenge is that um, we, are, we are under administration, so we're a financially uh, tight, uh, tight um, union. We, we're busy with a private equity deal, but so we have to fly economy class. Uh, we've got a lot of luggage and we can't afford the excess luggage, and Qatar give us a good deal for that, so we fly Cape Town, Joburg, Johannesburg, Doha, Doha, London, and then bus up to Leicester for a Sunday game. So that's we left Leicester on uh, Monday morning and got back into Cape Town on Tuesday afternoon after La Rochelle. It also played the Sunday with a direct flight and got into Cape Town. So we were in Cape Town. Same thing happened to us last year when we played Munster and we lost our home record. The, mm-hmm. the opposition team were in Cape Town before we were. So to go to go to take our best team to get back here on a Tuesday afternoon, we would have one training session before you play the two times European champions. So I felt on the six-day turnaround with that travel, that class of travel, uh, it was just we were going to be gone against La Rochelle. And so we had to sort of identify the La Rochelle fixture as an easier one for us to win, which sounds absurd. So what would what would help in, in years to come then, do you think? Or or what would help the fans buy in? Does it need there to be a final or something in, in South Africa for the fans to go, right, it's coming to us, this is the massive event? The tricky thing is if you're going to go to these destination finals and you put Cape Town, which would be a great venue, I mean, we get 10,000 people will come in on 747s, but if it's Leinster against uh, Saracens, 
we're not going to fill the stadium, you know, which will be yeah. a disaster for European. Whereas in Europe, you'll fill it always. So I don't know what this is. Look, I think our fans will get it as, as soon as we start doing a bit better. You know, I think we were the only team in the quarterfinal last year. Sharks and Bulls went in the, in the round before. I think I might be wrong. So we need to put in a compelling campaign and we need to get our squads up to that. And I think that's starting to happen in South Africa, that our squads are getting stronger. So that, 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 that's almost up to us. You know, to market it, to get bigger crowds. Look, I've, I think we were unlucky because of this time of year and the four games we have a row. Like I say, if we make a home, if we played Harlequins last year, I think we got 30-odd thousand in the, in the round of 16. So I think we'll get there with that. I think the, to stop the logistical thing is maybe to go on this method where we come there and, and almost do all our commitments there over two weekends or three weekends and then come back. I don't think we'll mind going on tour. I, don't th- I think what's been muted, Will, and you probably know more than me, is if we do make a semi-final, We'll have to play the semi-final overseas in Europe, and that we've got no issue with. Uh, of course, we'd like to do it at home, but it would be impossible to bring. And again, I'm just taking random examples to bring uh, Saracens down here after a prem, then come back or then go back and play a prem, a prem semi-final. Mm. We'll have to come to Europe, and we're cool with that. But I think just the six-day international turnaround—that's something that just obviously has to fall. Yeah, yeah. Just the last one. You, you watch loads of rugby in both hemispheres. Who are you looking at the rest of the tournament and thinking they're going to? Be a tasty prospect come the come April May. Look, I mean the the, 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 the guys that we've got to play them here as now. I thought Sale Sale looked like a really all round organised, really really good team. Yeah, they're that's going to be very tough. Leinster, uh, that's a boring that's a boring answer. But my word, if you're gonna if if we were to prep for a game and you told us our fixture list was to lose, how you defend that? Uh, that I think that, <laughs> that, that 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 performance yesterday at the stoop. Uh, that would be my. That would be where we. Where no Dupont though, but when you play them, maybe in the in the quarters or last sixteen. <laughs> yeah, no Dupont. Change, yeah. You'll be playing sevens. That'll help. <laughs> yeah, Damien Willems came to me now. Said he wants to play South Africa in the sevens in the Olympics. <laughs> oh, does he? Yeah, well, I said it's not going to be Paris. You can choose Los Angeles or wherever we're going after that, but it's not going to be Paris. No. <laughs> we need you for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, we need you. <laughs> awesome, John. Oh, I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks yeah, great to have you on again, John. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Alfie. Thanks, Will. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Well, thanks again to John Dobson. Great to have him on the podcast. We've had him on before, friend of the show, uh, and all the best to the Stormers for the rest of the year and their European campaign after that nail-biter of a win over La Rochelle. Final part of the pod, some any other business, and we'll name our god or goddess in just a moment. Will, we've got to mention this. Black Lion beating the Scarlets in the Challenge Cup. It's a funny tournament, the Challenge Cup. It never gets that much coverage. I know we didn't mention it last week. We're not going to speak about it too much this week either. But Scarlet 7, Black Lion 23, the Georgian side with the victory. Mm. A brilliant result for Georgian rugby. Bad result for the Welsh game though as well. Wow. I mean, yeah, Black Lion have been have existed for only a couple of years and so that's an amazing result for them. Brilliant for emerging nations. Great to see a Georgian team even in the competition, let alone winning away. So full credit to them for that. But God, if you're a Welsh rugby fan or a Scarlets fan, you're just head in hands, aren't you, going? We've got beaten easily by a, basically a newly created team. And this is the sort of result that always then leads to conversations very quickly about yeah. better access for Georgia, for Georgian teams, incorporating them into the competitions yeah. more, all that sort of stuff. Like, I mean, I think that's a really great place for them, the Challenge Cup. Like, I think that's what the Challenge Cup should be because it's not going to be filled completely with teams from the three leagues. So those little guest teams, why not have Black Line in there? That's brilliant. Like 
Years gone by, I used to have Timisoara, Saracens, and people often get snowed in there and things like that. But it never felt like those teams, there was a, there was sort of like a sustainable idea for where we'd get to with that, whereas it does with the Georgians. And they're one of these World Rugby... Who, well, World Rugby help fund a few club teams around the world that then contribute to a national side. And the, obviously, there are lots of Georgians play in France and some in England, don't they? But there's a, there's a few of them growing there. And soon, I think it's going to be announced that Richard Cockrell's going to be their new head coach at Georgia. So that's a nice little early present for him to see he's got a club team that are going to Scarlet's and winning and it's good and bad for rugby I suppose in all in one because it's great to see a Georgian team in and doing well and winning and like they're second in their pool now just behind Gloucester so you think they've got a good chance going through which would be awesome but also what does that say about the Scarlet's Welsh rugby and everything else that we've had this conversation for years now but you can't be getting beaten that easily at home can you? Mm. Yeah, I mean, great result for, for Georgian rugby, as you say. Not a great one for the regions in particularly for the Scarlets. Just to round off the results in the Premiership women's rugby over the weekend. Bristol with a big win, 41-17 over Ealing. Gloucester Hartbury with a, a tight win, 27-31 away against Exeter. Saracens with a thumping win, 60 points to 17 against Leicester. And then Loughborough Lightning 24-12 on their travels against Sale. Saracens look back there. I know they had a disappointing year by their high standards last year, but they're right up there at the top of the table. Some big wins early on. Four from four. Four yeah. from four. Yeah, yeah, they're doing very well. And Exeter, the Gloucester Hartbury beating Exeter away is decent, isn't it, as well? I mean, Exeter second in that table. Gloucester Hartbury the champions, reigning champions, aren't they? So top result for all involved there. And in terms of the festive fixtures there, really intrigued coming up. This weekend, 23rd of December on Saturday, Saracens against Bristol, 12.30 kickoff. That one's going to be fascinating. But, Will, let's round the show off. God or goddess of the week. You want to go first or do you want me to? So, honourable mention for Henry Slays. Nice. I don't know if I need to do an honourable mention every week, but this is me sort of covering bases. Spreading yourself thin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I'm going to give it to Archie Vaines, the the young Leicester Tigers hooker, scoring a hat-trick on his debut. I saw some Leicester fans on Twitter going, oh, if Alfie Barbary had done that, everyone would be saying he should be playing for England, um, which maybe is a bit far. But, um, yeah, great effort for him. And as we said earlier, a memory that like often we sometimes you, it sounds a bit funny doesn't it it's, like, it's all just about making memories which is a bit Saris isn't it they, they often talked about that for very years. holistic approach yeah, yeah yeah. but if you're a young boy and you go away to Paris and get a win and have a couple of beers on the way home like that's a cool weekend isn't it like fair play rotated the team and won the game and he was the key part of it uh, my god of the week I'm going to go for Marnie Libok we spoke to John Dobson about him we mentioned him before but I I do. Th- I think he's had a great 2023. I think for a guy whose kicking has come under scrutiny when it got to the real arm wrestle type matches at the World Cup, he's one of those fly halves that he he has got some quite clutch kicking displays under his belt. It's the consistency of them that is is probably the issue at the moment. But for him to kick that conversion to win them the game against the defending champions a win the storm is massively needed uh yeah i thought that was an awesome moment so i'm gonna go for money we didn't mention it when we were talking to john dobson because maybe it's a bit unfair but i remember when i went down to cape town um in march april when watched the quins game they were a little bit worried that as soon as people start to realize that he's a really good player he's going to get a massive offer from someone 
And you look at someone like Racing 92 who've tried to get Marcus Smith, had a little dabble for Bowden Barrett. He'd be a good, he'd be a great and option like, there. Te- they don't have a, in in a team of stars. They don't have an absolute gun star ten. And you think mm, they chuck 900 grand many the box away, and I think he'll be coming immediately. That's that's not me based on knowledge, but speculating, especially with the Stormers, as John Dobson was saying, still remarkably in administration, have been for about two years now. They had it with Stephen Kitsoff where they had an offer they could afford to pay him and then he went, look, I'm going to have to stop you there. Ulster are going to give me about 700 grand a year, so I think I'll go. And John Dobson just had to be like, well, there's nothing we can do about that, mate, so you crack on. So he could be one to watch out for. Like You can see a top 14 president just going, I want that, please. Thank you. (laughs) I feel like we shouldn't say too much more. I can imagine John Dobson listening to the the latter half of the point. I'm I'm not going on the ruck again, (laughs) prizing my best players away from me. We don't don't want everyone to be losing their players, do we? But I'm just thinking, like, there's reasons that would make sense. Yeah, I think we we can say that. He's a really good player. I, I like what he's about. Absolutely. Uh, final thing, just a little bit of admin really for you as we're coming up over the festive period because of when Christmas and Boxing Day and New Year and everything falls this year, the next couple of episodes of The Ruck are going to be some pre-recorded shows. So on Boxing Day, we're going to have a behind the scenes at Sail Sharks, which is going to be a lot of fun. We're yeah. going to be head- heading up there, chatting to Looking forward to that. Alex Sanderson, George Ford, a few, few other people for you. Yeah, absolutely. A bit of women's rugby in there as well. I think we're going to talk to Michelle Orange, who's, uh, I think she signed the club into her will with her husband. Um, so that, yeah, Simon Orange, who helped run the club there. So that's going to be good fun. Always like going up to sale. So Yeah, they've opened their doors to us. So looking forward to that. That'll be out, as I say, on Boxing Day. And then on New Year's Day, we'll have our look back at 2023, our 15 of the year, oh, our, t- our team of the year. We're going to make so many people really unhappy, aren't we? Naturally. Uh, on Day. These things always, just no one can ever be so happy So we're with picking it. our World 15, and you can send us suggestions, if you like, of who you think should be in it. I put out a tweet the other day of who should be in it, and it was quite funny because immediately I got, Antoine Dupont must be in, and someone immediately next saying, definitely not Antoine Dupont, the turncoat, <laughs> as if him going to sevens. Means that he's unforgivable. Be yeah. So, oh, there could be some shocks in it. I don't want to, too many spoilers alerts, but I think oh, there could be there could be some surprises, and we could ruin a few New Year's parties. I think. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll look ahead to 2024 as well. So loads coming up, but over the next few weeks, that is what is your schedule? Did, were you a, a Radio Times man over Christmas? I was a, my not really. My grand always Christmas telly. Always, always had the rubbish, Radio Times, it? and so. But that is, if the ruck was in the Radio Times, that is your Christmas listening yeah, there for you. Go. you. Write it in. So oh. thank you to all of us for for supporting us throughout the year. Uh, have a great Christmas as well. Enjoy the festive period. Will great to have you alongside again for this episode. Yeah, I don't think we should invite anyone else back. It's much better when it's just me and you. Good fun. We just agree with each other and we don't have to argue with all our colleagues. Yeah, <laughs> Steve Jones is, will be furious. Wouldn't be happy with that at all. But thank you for listening. This has been The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Make sure you follow or subscribe us wherever you get your podcast from. And also, don't forget, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate that. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.